Hey there, and welcome to the Praying Christian Women podcast, where our goal is to equip you with the tools you need to ditch the prayer guilt, grow in your relationship with God, and pray like you and nobody else. Stay tuned for our latest episode after this quick word from our sponsor. Do you want to go deeper in your faith even while you're on the go? No matter how busy the season you're in, Access More has a library of faith-based podcasts to help you grow spiritually. With podcasts from Christian thought leaders such as Christine Kane, Lisa Harper, Taryn Wells, and Bob Goff, you can hear podcasts on religion, culture, family, entertainment, and so much more. Access More gives you a safe space to find inspiring conversations about faith. Start listening today at accessmore.com. Hi there, and welcome to the Praying Christian Women podcast. I'm Jamie Hampton, and today I am really excited to be here with dynamic speaker and author, Lori Pulich Short. Um, I came across Lori's book, which, you know, we get books in the mail and, and we get pitches for different interviews and conversations. But when I saw this, Lori, I told you, it just Immediately, I just felt the Lord being like, yeah, you need to do this. You need to do this now. So, um, so yeah, we just went ahead and booked Lori to, to have a conversation um, to talk about her most recent book. She's written several, but her most recent book is Faith, Doubt, and God's Mysterious Timing, 30 Biblical Insights About the Way God Works. So Lori, I am so excited to get to be here to talk with you. Thanks for being on the podcast. I am so excited to be here, Jamie, and really excited about the story of you just feeling moved to do this, because that's all part of the subject of this book, definitely. Absolutely. Well, before we get into your story and your book, we like to ask all of our guests, what is your favorite prayer closet? It, it could be off the wall. Where do you go to connect with God? It, it could be you know, a, a literal war room type prayer closet. It could be um, a roller coaster at an amusement park, wherever. <laughs> well, you know, Jamie, we have kind of a one room place. It's a two bedroom cottage. So everything happens in the living room space. Mm -hmm. And so my space tends to be here at the table because there's a window. I always like looking out the window, but I will tell you that recently I saw a painting of well, and it's a very famous painting of the prodigal, and it was at the beginning of Lent, and it's uh, a one that Henry Nowen actually wrote a book about. But the father has his hands on the shoulders of this boy, his son, who's come home to be with him, and that visual has been with me so strongly that I am veering from my table right now, and I am kneeling in front of this chair that has these big arms and I put my arms on top of it and just visualize God's hands on my shoulders when I'm praying. And it has been such a special time. I think when we move our body in a different direction, sometimes it creates a whole different space and angle to our prayer life. And that certainly has been happening to me lately. So you caught me at a good moment, a good chapter in my prayer life. I love that. There, there was a picture that really moved me of um, the woman anointing Jesus with her hair, with the oil and with her hair. And, um, and I, for a while was just, I would picture that just when I, when I was praying I just yeah. would picture kind of that, that sort of worship, but yeah, it's amazing how art can oh, yeah. just really enhance our prayer lives. I think honestly, for me, just, I get so busy. We get so busy that how often do we just stop and appreciate art? I mean, it, it, it yeah. really is just a reminder to, to take note of the things around you, of the beautiful things that people have created as acts of worship. Because it can enhance you know, our own worship. I definitely agree with you. In fact, I referenced two different paintings. I'm just thinking about this for the first time in my book because mm -hmm. of that very thing of having an experience with these two paintings. One was an illustration, but the other was me standing in front of this painting um, of Jacob and the angel. And it, it was uh, an angel who 
you know, huge towering figure, the way it was painted by Eugene Delacroix. And I saw the painting in a small church in Paris and this towering angel has his hands, one hand on Jacob's shoulder and the other hand in his hand. And it was Jacob wrestling with the angel. But when I saw it, I thought, wow, it looks like the angel is trying to lead Jacob in a dance. And I, I just had this visual of God going, if you would just relax and stop (laughs) burrowing your head in my chest and wrestling with me, I want to lead you in life stance. And even though there are going to be difficult steps and there's going to be chapters that maybe you will definitely not be able to handle on your own. It is a dance. If you let go and let God lead your life and that visual has stayed with me so strongly that it made its way into the book. That's pretty neat. And, you know, and and thinking about that dance analogy, I think most of us have been in a situation where either you're, uh, you're trying to let someone lead who's a really bad dancer and it's just a mess <laughs> if they're right. not leading, but, or if you aren't letting someone lead you in the dance and you're fighting against them and then it's just as disastrous. So I love that picture of, I think of the, the lifeguard example, which is very similar when you're being rescued, they, they tell you when you're training to be a lifeguard, don't, uh, you know, make sure that if you're ever being rescued by a lifeguard, don't try to help. Don't mm. try to paddle yes. also, cause it's going to yes. just, just relax and be rescued. And it's the same with dancing. Don't try to help necessarily be led yeah. and, yes. and kind of that submission to the lead. And it's not always easy either way, you know, whether it's dancing or being rescued by lifeguard or letting God take the lead in your life. But what a great picture of that wrestling that actually to have that interpreted as a dance is very cool. Well, you know, that's part of what led me to write this book is that I think there's a time in all of our lives where this switch happens and God is doing something that you did not plan, maybe didn't want when you're in a chapter that was certainly not a part of what you pictured in your life with God, there comes a choice of, am I going to fight him my whole life or even walk away? Or am I going to allow God to lead me, even if it's different than what I thought? And that is part of the motivation that led me to write this book about God's mysterious timing, because I think that stage in your faith journey is both the most important, but also the hardest stage where so many people walk away because you just don't think there's even a God because he's not doing what you want him to do, but he is there to lead us, not to follow us. And that is the lesson that all of us learn at one time or another. We do. And I'm just curious, do you think, I mean, because I'm thinking there are probably several different categories of women listening right now. You've got ones that from the time they were little, they learned hard lessons about how the world isn't the way you imagine it or the way that you want wanted God to hand it to you, um, all the way up to women who well into adulthood have always kind of had what they pictured in life. And it seemed like, yeah, this is cool. And then all of a sudden they get a curveball and it just really throws them because they've not experienced that in their walk with God at that up to that point. But we all get there at some point. Do you think it's easier to experience that earlier and learn that sooner than later? Or do you think it's harder? Well, you know, that's a great question. I, I know that for me, it was a long season of waiting. The first thing that happened to me that was definitely not my plan is my parents got divorced. And then five years later, my dad met and married someone who's three years older than me. And I was only 22 at the time and she was 25. And one of the gifts of time is that you can see things so much differently looking back because Mm -hmm. what started out to be the worst thing in my life has here in this season turned out to be one of the greatest gifts of my life because she has loved my dad so well. But you know, Though that was the first time that it was like, okay, Lord, this is definitely not the plan I had. And then the second 
thing that happened was an ongoing thing for so long. If anyone's out there and has felt like, where are you? And are you even listening to me, God? Um, for me, it was singleness. For other people, it's it's different things that happen or don't happen in their life. But, you know, even though I wasn't the ring by spring gal in college, I kind of had a plan for when I wanted to get married in, in my mid-20s. And of course, I presented God with that plan, and I'm still not sure what he did with that. <laughs> I don't know if, if any of you have had the experience like what Jamie's talking about, where everything seems to be clicking. But that was the first time where I was like, okay, you know, now I'm hitting 30. And so I start praying a little louder and getting more people involved in the prayer. But when I hit 40 and I was still single, that's when I began to suspect that God was deaf. I was like, are you mm -hmm. even there? Are you listening to me? Because, you know, it wasn't, in my opinion, a hard request. It's like I it's funny when whenever something eludes you, it seems like everyone around you has what you want, yeah. which isn't true, but you feel that way. <laughs> and I felt that way. And I had become a professional bridesmaid. And then I was a professional baby shower goer <laughs> and all the things. And, uh, and so then at 42, when I got engaged, um, you know, of course, it was this incredible celebration. And I had my bridal showers and my wedding dress, and then my fiance got deployed. And in the course of his deployment, um, his ex-wife, who had actually left him, had second thoughts about their marriage. And so when he came back, this is now a year and a half of being engaged. So I'm 43 at this point with a wedding dress, the bridesmaids dresses, furniture in the home, the whole nine yards. And we broke up and he remarried his ex-wife. And so that for me was unbelievable because as I just told you, my own parents were divorced. And of course, I would have loved nothing better than for them to find their way back to each other. So it was this strange mix of this is such a great God story, but I hate the part that I'm playing in it. You know, it was so full of joy for everyone but me. And I just felt like it was almost like God put a knife in and twisted it. Like this is the desire of my heart. It's finally happening. And this is the end of the story that you write. And so, Jamie, for me, that was my crisis of faith because I was not just going to church at the time I was speaking. So I'm the girl you bring in to tell everybody about why they should follow Jesus and what a great life it is. And my own life was falling apart, but it was the most important part of my faith journey. And I don't know if anyone is listening now who feels like God is absent or doesn't care but I will tell you that if you are gifted with that opportunity to sit in that space and you come to the other side of it, your faith will never be the same. And that is what happened to me. And during that time, you know, I, I remember saying to God, well, I can't share my story because if I share my story, people are going to walk away from you. And I just felt like God said to me, you know, don't worry about me, little girl. Like, I don't know that you're going through this. Trust me. Step out in faith. Tell your story. And I did during that time before there was a happy ending to the story. And it was so powerful. You know, I get to the end and people would just be staring at me like, oh, no. But but then I would say, but you know what? God is not through with my story. I, I got up this morning. I'm still breathing. I don't know if I'll get married, but I know he's not done. And I feel like we need more people sharing in the middle of their story, because I think that our testimony is so powerful at that time, because that's where people live, is in the middle of their story. And just the fact that I was holding on when things weren't going well, and I was banking on God. And of course, in my book, I talk about that's, that's what happened to Job, exactly what happened to Job. Everything fell apart. And yet at the end, his relationship with God was transformed by what he learned about God. And I think that when everything's going great in our life, and this kind of circles back to your question, we don't really have that opportunity to see how big God can be. Only in the suffering and in the pain and in the dark chapters and in the questions and the waiting, do we really see 
who God is. And so um, just to wind that story up, I did get married at the ripe young age of 49, (laughs) which is, I know, every girl's dream. But it was God's perfect timing for me because for so many reasons, I ended up wearing the dress that I bought for fiance number one. My mom kept it in her closet for five years. (laughs) It was her hope chest, I think. But um, the man that I married was was the right one for me. And he had a son um, who was six when we married and I ended up raising him because he, his mom moved to Australia. And so there was just so many other reasons for what happened in my life. And maybe that's where I'll end this diatribe is that when God is doing something in your life, he has other people in mind that he wants you to touch with your story. And that is such a gift that he gives us in our pain, but it's the gift that nobody asked for. So. And I think that sometimes we're afraid, like you said, I think we, as Christians, a lot of times, especially if you're a leader in the church, or if you have a voice that's out there that people are listening to, I think we're afraid and, and we're, we're, we almost want to protect God as yes. kind of weird as it sounds, but no, that's what, so true. We want to protect God from, oh, well, people are watching me and, and God's letting me suffer. Um, or I'm suffering and I don't want anyone to know that I am not this perfectly happy, joyful Christian all the time. I'm actually mad at God. I don't want to tell anybody that because that's not what good Christian girls do. And, you know, I think there's all this pressure kind of like to to protect God and to also protect our image of the, quote, good Christian girl with the happy face. Um, and I think what you say is so important that we have to be okay with being real with people because when you're real with them about your struggle and even I think with your disappointment in your story, mm. your disappointment in that unanswered prayer or that blatant no to a prayer that you've been praying for however long, um, it's okay because God can handle it. God can handle it when mm. we have this undercurrent that you're talking about of, but I, I still know he's good. Like if you just no matter what you say before that, if at the end of it, you're like, but I still know he's good. Like that is, I, I think that is so powerful because when we, when we leave this world, when we are one with God, there, there's never going to be the opportunity to have pain or to be disappointed or mm. to go through troubles or anything else. And and when we can praise God or at the very least acknowledge who he is based on what the Bible says he is and be like, look, this is all happening. And I don't know how it lines up with what the Bible says, but I believe that it does somehow. Like mm-hmm. even that is like, that's got to be a huge blow to the enemy. And totally. I love it. So, well, so, you know, it's funny. I mean, that really is Job's story. Yeah. That's why I opened the book with Job because he yelled at God for, you know, multiple chapters and his friends <laughs> were like, calm down, Job, you know, don't, we need to, you know, God's good. And everything that's happening to you is for a reason. And boy, at the end of the book, God says, Job, I want you to pray for your friends. You had it right. They didn't, you know? And so God knew that what was happening to Job, it wasn't, God wasn't the source of Job's pain. God was with Job in his pain. He allowed it to happen. But the source of Job's pain, we know as readers what happened to him in the first chapter of the story. But Job never finds out, like many of us, when we go through things, why in the world did this happen? And God is okay with Job screaming and yelling the whole book. And then, in fact, you know, at the end, because he doesn't tell Job the reason for his pain, what he does is he t- takes him on a world tour so that Job sees how big God is. And that is what I'm talking about. That is the opportunity that we have in our pain that we don't have any other time. Hmm. People need our pain. <laughs> you know, that sounds so crazy, 
but don't feel like you have to defend God. God is big enough to to speak for himself. And your courage to share, I'm in pain, but I'm still holding on to God. That middle of the story testimony, I just feel like that is so important for other people, even non-believers to see in our life, because that's when they see our faith is real. And your story isn't over. It's not over. It's not even over when you die. And that's the beauty of the middle of the story is we're always in the middle of the story. And you might not see for years what the reasons are. I've seen, and this is reflected in the book, that so many stories I thought were one thing ended up being another thing altogether, you know, looking back. (laughs) Right. And so there's just so much about God's mysterious timing that I think ties into our faith journey. So I am just curious, this this conversation is kind of like um, this idea of, okay, I, I think this is what God has for me. Let's use marriage as an example. You know, if I, I also had a broken engagement, I was engaged for 11 months and the wow. engagement was broken. Um, and it was right, it was right at the end of college and I had plans to move to a different state and, you know, the bottom drops out. And I had, I probably could have made that marriage happen. It, it, I mean, I, I knew that it, at, at some point I knew that he was the one that did not know if he wanted to get married or not, but God love him. He probably would have just gone along with it if I had just been really strongly pushing. Um, Mm. I got wonderful advice from my pastor. I was like, I don't know what to do. And he said, Hey, just, you know, at this point, ask him if, if he could, uh, if if he could, if, if you weren't engaged and he could do it all over again, would he ask you today to marry him? Hmm. And I asked him that and he said, I really don't know. I'm sorry. Um, and I knew that that was the answer based on what I think is great counsel and looking again in retrospect, I'm married to someone different. He's married to someone different. And we have the lives that I believe God had lined up ahead of time. Hmm. But before that, so I actually had people that were like, you know, I thought, that God had told me that this is the man we're going to, that I I'm supposed to marry. Um, we had gotten engaged. It seemed right. I even had a friend that was just like, we prayed together and she said, God told me that you're going to marry this person. So Mm. I feel like I could have probably just pushed and pushed and pushed and made this marriage happen. And this guy out of guilt would have probably married me. Um, Mm. I feel like there's a fine line between walking and acting in faith. So if you think, yeah, I think that I should probably do this thing, whether it's marriage, whether it's um, starting a new business, whether it's whatever, um, what do you think is the fine line between like holding fast to this like, okay, I think this is what God wants. I'm going to keep pushing and pushing and pushing no matter what opposition comes and make it happen to the best of my ability. And then this other side of the coin, which is kind of yielding to the diversion and even embracing it, letting it carry us to, to that destination. Like you said, you think the story is about this, but really the fact that this happened led to the real story. Like what are, exactly. but what do yeah. you think about that? Cause oh it's my hard. Goodness, Jamie. That is, it's, it's really the struggle of our life. And I think it is exemplified in that painting I was talking about of yeah. God leading us in this dance. I mean, in my book, I talk about, all the people in the Bible that have so much to tell us, so much in their stories, but honestly, we don't hear the parts of their stories that I put in my book when we go on Sunday morning. I highlight the parts that we don't always see in these people's stories. And for Jacob, Jacob is my guy because he clearly struggled with control his whole life. Um, I mean, he was born grasping the heel of his brother. And even though God foresaw that he would, you know, end up with a birthright, the way it came about was a little more Jacob than it was God. And (laughs) you can see that that whole struggle. And I really think that the reason he ended up in Laban's household, his uncle, is because he was an even bigger deceiver than Jacob. And I think what God does 
is sometimes put things in our life that show us things about ourselves that he is trying to work on because that whole season of 14 years that was only supposed to be seven years working for Rachel and he ends up with two wives and the wrong one at first and uh, just a, a whole lot more than he bargained for. After that is when he wrestles with God. And what's interesting about the wrestling match is that he overcomes the angel, the figure that he wrestles with all night. Uh, he overcomes, wrestles with God and overcomes. That's the name he gets, Israel. But he's the one that ends up with the limp. And so I really see in Jacob's later life that he was a little more subdued. And so part of the struggle, I guess, with what you're talking about is it is an interplay between us and God. And certainly sometimes you have to overcome circumstances. Things are hard. Everything's hard. Everything that's good is hard in your life. But you kind of know when you're pushing against something that isn't really happening. You talk about your relationship. You knew something deep down inside. It wasn't a clear yes for you. I will tell you, I knew the same thing, but there was no way I would have not married him because of the timing, because of it being my only chance, and because enough was okay, I would have gone ahead if he hadn't broken up with me. And I thank God every day for that. But I will tell you a story that prior to that, this is so crazy, but I was speaking out in New Jersey and uh, you talk about this friend who said, I think you're supposed to marry him. Well, this I was speaking to 500 youth workers and they all walked out of the room for lunch. And I would always just go in an office and not talk. And But this one woman stayed behind and she approached me and I thought she was going to talk to me about her youth ministry because I was talking to youth workers. And she said, you know, I really wanted to just go to lunch and mind my own business, but the Lord wouldn't let me. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> she takes my hand and she says, the Lord is going to bring you a husband. Now I'm 40 years old at this point. I, I wasn't talking about being single, married. I was talking about youth ministry. And this woman who I don't even know is naming the desire of my heart. So I can feel the tears start coming. And any of you who are in that season of waiting, you know that they're just right there all the time. And uh, she said, the Lord's going to bring you a husband and he will love you as Christ loves the church. And he will take your head to his chest and he will protect you and he will be a support to your ministry. And I was like sobbing at the end and she walked away. I don't even know her name. I never saw her again, but it was two years later that I got engaged to the first guy. And so there was not only this you know, this has to be right. We've waited so long, but there was this whole spiritual element to it potentially that I had to wrestle with. And when the breakup happened, I was like, I wanted to call the lady from New Jersey. Like this wasn't part of the prophecy. But the thing that's so crazy is the prophecy did end up coming true in my life, but only after it didn't come true. And I wow. think that, oh. I think that we have to recognize that that is actually the most important part of our faith is when we're still choosing to walk with God in the confusion. I mean, I can remember just days when I'd wake up and like roll out of bed onto the floor. I couldn't even face the day, let alone what I was supposed to be doing. And I felt like God almost tricked me like, I'm in the ministry. I felt like Peter, you know, well, where, where are we going to go? <laughs> you know, I mean, that's where am I going to go? This is my job. This is my livelihood, you know, but it was this incredible moment of God almost saying, can you trust me even now? Can you trust me? And it was a crazy story how I ended up getting to Santa Barbara. It was only four months after my broken engagement. A guy called. He thought I got married. He was congratulating me. He goes, but that's not why I'm calling. We were praying about this new position in our church and your name came up. So here was a door that I was not looking for. I was looking for another door. But I always say, and maybe this is a word to somebody who's wondering that, like, how much do I keep pushing? How much do I? Because I think sometimes we are so focused on a door we want that we miss some of the doors that are opening mm. and one door can lead to another door that might actually eventually lead to the door you want, but it's a different route. 
And the point about God and living with God is that you're looking and paying attention to what is happening in your life, not just what isn't happening in your life. And I think sometimes we get over-focused on that because we want it so bad. You know, people used to say to me, well, it's when you don't want it that God will bring it to you. And I'm like, well, then he's never going to bring it to me. I don't know how to fake it. You know, of course, I'm always going to want it. But I was willing to live. It felt like living without a leg, but I was willing to live. I was like, you know, a lot of people live with what they don't want. I'm going to live my life. And um, my, we don't have time to tell you the stories of things that happen in my singleness that never would have happened if I was married. But that, I think, is going to always be the dance. And I'm I'm hoping this book really helps people walking these difficult, challenging seasons where they don't understand or they have a big question about God or how do I live? How do I know? I think we learn so much from the people in the Bible through their stories, through their mistakes, through their dark seasons that I think help us so much in our faith. You know, I feel like when you talk about the things that we're focused on, you know, and, and the things that, um, you know, in this book you talk about, it's, it's not only the act of remembering, but what we remember mm. that builds or diminishes our faith. And it's that along the same lines of what you're talking about, of whether we're focused on, if we're focused so much on what we don't have, we miss the doors that are right in front of us that God wants us to to take a step into. So can you talk more about that, about the act of remembering, but what we remember, like, it's like, we've got this, this whole host of things that we could be remembering. What, what is it that builds or diminishes our yes. faith? Well, obviously remember is such a huge word in scripture and, uh, you know, it's repeated so many times. And what I notice looking at it a little bit more closely is that most of the time remember is used to give somebody confidence for what's ahead. So it's odd to think that we're supposed to look back to gain our confidence to live in faith. But we see so many examples of that in scripture. And the biggest example of good remembering and bad remembering is the Israelites, those poor Israelites oh, after, yeah. after they got rescued and they saw you know, the Red Sea part. And it's not a month and a half later that they're crying and complaining to Moses, if only we could go back to Egypt. And of course, we we just go, how could they do that a month and a half later? But let me ask you something. How are you on Monday after you've just had a spiritual experience on Sunday? Yes. We forget <laughs> so often about who God is and what he's doing because we're so focused on the circumstances around us. And you know, faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. And so to live that truth when what you do see seems to be contradicting your belief, it's very hard to do that. And these poor Israelites, they're in the desert, they're hungry, they're tired, they don't understand, they don't see God, and they're remembering Egypt as the place where they could eat meat. And in fact, it's so funny. I love, there's so much humor in scripture, but where if only we could go back to Egypt where we sat around and ate pots of meat. You know, it's like, did you forget that you were slaves while you were eating those pots of meat? I mean, you know, the pots of meat was a little part of your story when you were there, but suddenly that part of it got highlighted. And I think that's what bad remembering is. It's mm -hmm. not remembering the right things. It's not even remember, remembering the accurate things. I think that God is the God of the rearview mirror. And if you can't see what he's doing now, remembering what he has done and how he's worked in your story and what he's even done with those chapters that you didn't want to live, places you weren't planning to go, people you didn't even know that you ended up meeting because you're somewhere you didn't want to be, and you look and see what God did, you're like, why don't I trust him when I'm in a season where I'm not sure what he's doing now? And that I think is the gift that the Israelites give us. Um, I contrast them with the, with the, uh, the community in Acts because that community in Acts in the early church, I think was such a good positive example of community and a healthy community that's remembering 
the strength of their faith and who God is and the power of God and going to scripture. And they give each other courage in the midst of their um, persecution. So I think, you know, remembering is so powerful and we need help remembering the right things. We need a solid community of people around us or friends that can remind us when we lose our way, which I do, if not every day, if not twice a day, you know, I mean, I just, I still need it. And I write books about this stuff, you guys. So, I mean, it's, it's something we all need. We're just forgetful people. And I think that's why God repeats it so many times through scripture. Yeah. And you make such a good point about community and about how just the people that you surround yourself with, because if you find yourself despairing all the time, a really easy way to kind of shake things up a little to get out of that rut is to find just one person that Mm. you're like, that person really seems to have joy. And that person really seems to have a perspective on life and on faith and on God that builds me up. Like if you see that person, even if you don't know them well, maybe get to know them a little better and and just kind of, you know, and, and just kind of one by one, maybe, maybe you need a new crowd (laughs) or maybe you need a crowd. Maybe you need to stop being isolated. And, Mm. you know, and I think the same is true for the social media content we consume. We could, you know, maybe, maybe you need a new Instagram crowd as well, or a new Facebook crowd as well to kind of give you things. Are you pouring things in and allowing people to pour into you things that, that are giving you that right focus that are helping you to want to remember the right things? Cause misery really does love company. I mean, yeah. I, 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 you can, yeah. And so I think. Yes. You can always find people to make you feel bad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you know, I also maybe just a side point in that is I totally agree with you in that I don't feel that our job is to put on a smile. Right. Even when things are bad, you know, we've already talked about this, but it's more about people reaffirming the truth of who God is, who he's been in your life. Remember this. Remember how he did this? Remember how you were in this situation and this happened? It's those kinds of people who are walking the reality and the difficulty with you, but they're remembering with you how God is faithful. And even if he's taking a lot longer than you want him to, which I find he does in almost every instance, (laughs) there's not hardly any time when I say, God, you're just moving too fast. Well, maybe the only time is with aging, but (laughs) otherwise, I think that, you know, and it is interesting how th- time moves faster. There's a whole chapter in the book about how time really is a moving target. And we know that by the way we experience it. You know, some things go so fast and some things move like a snail. And so much of our time is determined by what fills the time. But I I just think that um, a good community a good even person in your life. And that's that was the unfortunate thing about COVID. It isolated us a lot. Mm-hmm. And so we need that now. We need each other. And you need someone who can remind you of God's faithfulness. Yeah. Well, in, in the book, you kind of flip the coin over and say, loss is not absolved from our story, even mm-hmm. when we have a greater understanding. Because, I mean, the big picture of the book is obviously look at the big picture of the story and this little blip is not all there is, but Mm. this loss is still a real thing. Even if you understand why, which we don't all have the luxury of knowing why. And there are some people that I think have gone through, you know, just trauma, traumatic tragedy that they'll never be able to, to frame in, Oh, this was good, you know, but exactly. Yeah. So can you just expound on that on, that permission to Uh, acknowledge the loss, even if you do believe that God is good, even if you do believe that it was part of a bigger story. Well, the person that shows us that in scripture is Joseph from the Old Testament. And I love his story because we get 10 chapters of it in which you hardly get that of a person's life. So you really see the different chapters of his life and what he went through. And, you know, here he has this dream at the beginning and Lord only knew what the path was going to be getting to that dream because it was just 
abject tragedy, including his brothers wanting to kill him and then selling him into slavery and then going to prison and everything was unfair. Nothing was because of anything he did. And then he ends up in the very place he dreamed about, but the route was so different. And what we see in Joseph is, you know, obviously he's so overcome with emotion when he sees his brothers for the first time that the Egyptians hear him wail in the next room. So they don't know who he is because he looks Egyptian, but he knows who they are. And clearly there is pain inside of Joseph seeing them. And you even see his psychology of tricking them and putting, you know, some silver in Benjamin's backpack and doing all these things that you do when you're wrestling with deep emotion and pain. But what's so interesting is even though he says, you know, you meant it for harm, but God meant it for good, for the greater good. And he can see all of that in his life. He can see how God has used his pain, even in Genesis 50. And this is what I talk about in the book. Even in Genesis 50, he is still crying when his brothers come to him after his dad dies. They are now afraid because Jacob is gone that now Joseph's going to get them. And so they come before him and they say, we'll just be your slaves. Please don't you know, harm us. And he cries again over the tragedy that happened to him. So I don't know. I'm a four on the Enneagram. So I'm I'm a big feeler of both directions. Someone once said to me, you are going to feel the highest highs and the lowest lows that life has. And it has been so true. It's the gift God has given me because I'm a communicator and I can uh, really identify and tap into people's hearts when I'm communicating. But the burden of it is what I feel. And when it's hard, it is hard. And God has not rescued me from that. There is something in the pain that is doing something in us. And that's the only explanation I have for it. I I don't understand a lot of the mystery. So many people write about pain. I think it's the thing that deepens us. It gives us the most compassion for other people. Without it, I don't even know how shallow we would be. There is something that pain does. And we also know that our Savior went through the greatest pain there is as a human being to get to where he's going. So it's not as if God doesn't understand. He's with us in it. He understands it. He's experienced it through Jesus. But it is the part of our human condition that is the prayer that nobody prays. You know, it's like nobody I know says, God, please help me go through pain so I'll understand people more. But what I also have noticed about pain is that pain tends to be our ministry to others. It's those places of pain that God uses most powerfully because when someone's going through something, the person they want to talk to is someone who has been through it too. I understand the pain of singleness more than somebody who got married in their 20s or even 30s because I've been through it. There is no other way that I could understand it. We can have sympathy, but when we have been through something like a loss of a child, like a, a, a cancer, like whatever it is that you go through, um, loss of your spouse, I mean, that actually is the thing that God uses the most powerfully in our life. So that is the biggest mystery about life. But I do think pain never leaves us for the things that we loved or wanted or lost or felt. And I, there must be a reason for that, for what it's doing in our spirit, in our soul, when we get to where we're going. And that's really, I mean, I, I end the book with Hebrews 11, because I, the reason I started to write about it was like, well, I have to end with the chapter that gives us our definition of faith. But as I started reading that chapter, I became aware that not only was it the hall of fame of faith and all the people that did this and did that and experienced all this stuff in their life. The chapter ends with people dying in faith. They die in faith. And so it could be that our greatest act of faith is going to death and knowing we're going to overcome it. We're going somewhere else. And 
And I talk about a cousin that I watched die in such a beautiful, amazing, faith-producing way that has inspired me so much when he finally, you know, lost his battle to cancer. But I I find it interesting that that is the end of the chapter, like of the Hall of Fame of Faith. Like, and now we're going to talk about all these people that because this isn't the end, you guys. This is not the end of our story. Death is only the beginning. And our life here is only part of a much bigger story that one day we're going to realize this was just such a small part. And I, and I always think about that when I want to have courage to live my story, the hard parts of my story well, because I know I'm not going to end it here. And I just want to live in a way that, that brings the most glory to God, if possible. And it's not always easy, but if possible, it can sure motivate us to know that this isn't where the story ends. Amen. I don't, I can't think of a better way to just wrap it all up. That's so well said. So thank you so much, Lori. I, I just love that you were here and shared your heart. And I just, I hope everyone will go find your book and your books in the plural. You've written several, Um, but this one faith doubt and God's mysterious timing is absolutely just packed with so much. And it's so focused on scripture. Yes. Um, what that's that's one of my favorite parts about it and so yeah absolutely everyone needs to get this book so where can where can we yes. connect with you online where can we yes. find your books um absolutely you can find them really where wherever books are sold but maybe i should just mention that i just came out with a a 10 week study with the book that's on right now media um Ooh, on wonderful. faith god's mysterious timing and so if you're in a small group or even just you and your spouse or a friend remember that community we were talking about this would be a great book to just inspire you to live your faith and to live the challenge as well and you can do it as a study too so um, but the book can be found, you know, on Amazon, anywhere. It's Bethany Publishers and um, my other four books can be as well. So um, I would love for you to find them out. And I'm on Instagram, Lori P. Short. And I usually post there and I have a little 10 minute devotional podcast that I do. So those are some ways to connect with me too. All right. And for right now, do you have to have a subscription for that? I know like, so, like, Yes. Okay. So yeah, if you're not, if you're, if your church doesn't have a subscription or you don't, it's also available on my website and I'm going to be um, previewing the study um, probably after Easter. So getting on my mailing list, you could also do that as well, but yeah, you can find everything on my website, laurieshort.com. Great. And if you go to a church ask your church if they have a right now subscription. I think all the church, we've been to several churches over the years and I think every single one has had an option. If you're, if you're part of that church, they have like a login for right now media. So if you don't know about that, check in with your church. And I think you'll probably be surprised. You might be able to get a tons of great resources on right now. And you have other stuff on there too, don't you, Lori? Yes, I do. Yes. That's a great resource. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, again, thank you for being here. This has been amazing. How can we pray for you? And I'll close us out in prayer. You know, I my biggest prayer right now is that this little book will get into the hands of people that need it, mainly because of what you said. It's filled with God's word. It's filled with those places in the Bible that we don't always see. And if you know somebody that maybe is like, I read the Bible, but I don't get that much out of it. I think this would be such a great book for them to see how it connects with our life. So that is my prayer right now is just that, that this book would get into the hands of people who need it, that might find it as a lifeline for themselves. Yeah. And these scriptures that you pull out are not there. Some of them are little known and, and kind of things that you might not come across if you're not like reading through the Bible front to back. So I, I love that about it as well. So it's kind of a fun introduction into some some places you might not normally go so yes yes all right well let's pray god we just thank you so much for this time with lori god we just thank you that you're a redeemer that you take things Mm. that we would call bad some of them very very bad and like the story of job you uh 
you're not you're not up there making the bad things happen but but there are things in a fallen world that you allow to happen and that you're with us in father and that you can grow us in and through that you can use to bring about things that never could have happened otherwise that will bring blessing that we never even imagined god we just pray right now for anyone going through a time where they feel forgotten by you where they feel like not only are you silent but you're you're twisting that knife in you're you're not only not giving them what they asked for but you're giving them something that seems to be far worse mm. or the the total opposite of of what they asked for um father we pray for a revelation of truth we pray that that lie of the enemy that you are not good would be replaced with the truth that you are good that you are love that that the person going through this is dearly loved that you are at work invisibly sometimes for years and decades even in areas of our lives bringing about these incredible intricate plans mm. just like tapestries woven together um that most of the time we're not going to see until eternity um but god just we just pray for the person going through those dark times that you would reveal yourself as a loving father that you would just give them a glimpse just a tiny glimpse of of your presence of your care whether it's through the word of a friend whether it's through scripture whether it's through listening to this podcast um god that you would you would just bring hope to someone who is just drowning in despair right now god mm -hmm. we just pray for this book that lori is bringing into the world that you would overcome any barriers that would keep it from being read by the women and men that need to hear it, that her story would be used by you in incredible ways, that these scriptures would go out to the world and, and that your word would not return empty as you say that it will. God, we, we just count on your word transforming lives that dead prayer lives would be resurrected, that people who never knew you would come to a saving faith in Jesus, that people who knew you and have fallen away would just have their passion for um, for scripture rekindled and their relationship with you renewed. Um, Lord, that we pray that conviction of the Holy Spirit would come through this book. We pray that healing, oh God, that healing would come from this book for people who had wounds that they never thought would be able to be healed. And that we pray that um, people who are feeling hopeless would um, would see a glimmer of hope and would be able to hold on to that and move forward in a way that they never thought possible in their faith and in their life. God, we just pray your blessing on Lori, on her family, on her home, and on her ministry, that you would protect her from the evil one, that you would allow her to be protected and, and to just continue doing the things that you're calling her to, that you would help her to just continue to creatively express the lessons that she's learning through scripture and through the way that you're working in her life to bless and glorify, um, glorify you, God, and to bless others through her ministry. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of the Praying Christian Women podcast. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a comment to let us know what questions or topics we can address in future shows. Then hop over to prayingchristianwomen.com slash journal to download your free prayer guide. We're so glad you joined us for today's show, and we wish you God's deepest blessings as you draw closer to Him and change the world one prayer at a time.